I think my birthday pick is going to be Sata Tango, seven hour long movie by Bellatar. There and welcome to the recommendation game. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. My name is Orla McNeilis. My name is Ricardo Deacon. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio and this week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It is Tokyo Story. A profoundly stirring evocation of elemental humanity and universal heartbreak, Tokyo Story is the crowning achievement of the unparalleled Yasujiro Ozu, the film which follows an aging couple's journey to visit their grown children in bustling post-war Tokyo, surveys the rich and complex world of family life with the director's customary delicacy and incisive perspective on social mores. Featuring lovely performances from Ozu regulars Shishu Ryu and Satsuku Hara, Tokyo Story plums the deepens the director's recurring theme of generational conflict, creating what is, without question, one of cinema's mightiest, mightiest masterpieces. Whew. Goodness gracious. So the film was directed by Yasujiro Ozu, screenplay by Kogo Noda and Yasujiro Ozu, produced by Takeshi Yamamoto, starring Setsuko Haro, Kishi Ryu, Chiki. Higashiyama, uh, Kyoko Kagawa, Haruko Tsukimura, Suyagimura, Kaniko Mayaki, Shiro Osaka, Ajiro Tono, cinematography by Yuharu Atsuta, edited by uh, Yoshiyasu Hamamura, and music by Takanobu uh, Saito. This week's film was just by Ricardo. It was uh, indeed. Second time round for um, Ozu. I was trying to remember. So it was episode 165. We did Floating Weeds, which was more than a year ago, I think. Um, How many episodes are we on now? A uh, hundred and ninety something. So there's like a fifty movie gap between the two. So it's not too bad. No, yeah, we're on a hundred and ninety-four now, or a hundred and ninety-five. And it was, well, 30, because it was episode 165. So there's 30 okay. movies in between. And that includes some Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Ricardo, why did you decide on Tokyo Story for your second pick? Well, to be honest, it's uh, this one was not picked by me. It was picked by Silent Sound, because I couldn't come up with a movie to, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, to do it. <laughs> And we uh, agreed that I picked the, we picked the first movie that I had seen in the side and south poll that you hadn't seen. Uh, I decided not to use Jim Dillman, 23 Quad de Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles, which is the number one pick because I don't it's want to very, be controversial at the moment. <laughs> and it's also like I like it, but it's the kind of movie that, you know, I don't quite understand why it's number one. 
but not because it's it, there's some people that say that the movie is not worthy of being number one i can understand why it would be somebody's favorite movie but considering that it's a poll it's kind of weird that so many people picked it i don't know how the point system works because i know it's like you have to give a top yeah. 10 and then depending how you vote they get different points etc but besides that that's number one then number two is vertigo which we've both seen number three citizen came which we've both seen number four was tokyo story so it had to go to tokyo story so that's as easy as it, it goes but uh, just at a coincidence, out of the top twenty uh, of the that sight and sound list, we've done quite a bit of those movies. We've done now Tokyo Story. Mm. Uh, we've done number five in the mood for love. Uh, mm -hmm. We've done uh, La Regla du Jeu, the rules of the game, which is number thirteen on the list. Yeah. Uh, we've done Persona, which is eighteen on the list, and we've done Seven <coughs> Samurai, which is twenty on the list. So. In fairness, I've um, most of them. I think, if not all of them, were my picks as well. They're all yours, yeah, because of yes. my my mysterious blind spots when it comes to classics of cinema. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting that it's like uh, the the list is uh, a lot less American centric than the list used to be, especially a few yeah. years ago. Which I think I it's a a good uh, demonstration of one of the benefits of streaming and stuff like that, that it gives uh, a belief for more people to have access to more movies that are outside their wheelhouse, I think, that mm. um, or that are less curated by white men in for like RTE or TV3 or Virgin Media <laughs> and stuff. So yes. in that way, like I, I do appreciate the, the, the how the list has changed over time. Uh, when it comes to Tokyo Story, uh, as always, I check with these movies uh, what Roger Eber has says about them because uh, I know that it will be on his great films, reviews, uh, books or uh, whichever you call it. And, uh, you know, sometimes Roger Ebert is just a good critic and just writes it basically. But uh, with this, uh, the review, I do recommend everybody to to have a look at it because there's very good writing not just about the movie but just gener genuinely good writing about the movie itself but i i think that the uh, there's a couple of lines that i appreciate that are are um about this movie and encapsulates what i feel about the movie but also about ozu himself as a filmmaker uh he says ebert says ozu is not only a great director but a great teacher and after you know his films, a friend. And I think Aww. that it's kind Aww. of... It, it's. I don't think there's another director that makes me feel so comfortable watching his movies. Like, there's nothing that happens in Tokyo Story. And I remember watching Floating Weeds. And when we did the episode on Floating Weeds, the bit that you criticized about Floating Weeds was the plot. That you love mm -hmm. the bits when there's no plot. And you were annoyed by the plot bit, and that's famously <laughs> the 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 most uh, like supposedly accessible uh, Ozu movie because there is a semblance of a plot, while most of his movies are like Tokyo Story that not only are devoid of real plot and uh, traditional narrative structure, but also often um, miss the moments that you'd be expecting in movies like. In this, in the case of Tokyo Story, you, you miss her dying. 
you miss her getting out the train. Anything that would be dramatic and exciting, it just goes past it. It's just in little moments. Everything is calculated, quiet, peaceful. Everybody is both terrible because you recognize yourself in all their flaws, but also that they're in their own way. They're uh, living their own lives. They're they're not particularly bad, you know. They're 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 just detached from the existence of other people, and it's like this idea of connections that are uh, present throughout uh, Oz's oeuvre. And I think that in this is a weird one because everybody says Tokyo Story is his best movie, but I I prefer his movies in color because I love the way that he deals with color as well. But it is always recognizably Ozu, you know, like I think that in the 40 movies that he's done, there's like four camera movements. The rest is <laughs> all locked <laughs> up. One uh, of them is in this, I believe. I can't I can't remember what it is, but at some point the camera moves in this um this film. And there, there's a few uh, scenes whenever the, like people are walking in other movies that they're like next to a canal or something, just walking, and the camera is just on the dolly, so people can walk and talk, not from a distance. But even here, like at the, it's the amazing thing about how he composes imagery because you would think that using the same focal length and no movement for the entire movie would make it visually boring but the way that he adds depth to the image but also movement to the actual tableau it's incredible and also it's very subtle but the lighting is always perfect but not perfect per se and the way that people position themselves in the frame tells the story in itself and i think that also having the the way because it's always the same angle basically the the way that he cuts the movie it creates this kind of rhythm that it's impossible to replicate because you're never surprised about what comes next you always kind of like it feels like a little beat that you're almost like a poem that it picks picks up a rhythm and it just keeps going keeps going and like a poem there it's never truly spelt out to you like it might be in a narrative or fiction or even a non-fiction book that is like this is what's happening etc it's more alluded to it's more hinted at it's the the ideas that it's getting at are both voiced and kept silent uh, even the way that it deals with grief at the end uh, like uh, the the father figure just nodding hiding his absolute grief just nodding or whatever and nobody can deal with the grief itself or like the the mourning and like everybody's like oh you're gonna be very lonely and it's like thanks that's gonna help so much the fucking neighbor popping in and being like oh you're just gonna be so lonely bye it's like, like thanks thanks mate yep i'm aware but there's very few films, I think, that are, are like I think that the only way to describe it is novelistic. That it, there's no thrills about it, no frills. There, it, it's just like a family drama, but almost without the drama. But it, it, you feel like that you know each character individually. There's very few films that have an ensemble piece as uh, as vast as this one that you feel like you know each character 
as an individual rather than just as a member of the family. And that includes the parents. The, a lesser movie would have uh, made them almost martyrs and stuff, but it shows like their flaws as parents, their flaws as individuals. Their they also made their kids uh, drift away from them. The understanding that the the younger daughter and the, the daughter-in-law that only has uh, met them in their older years, their understanding of those two characters are different to the kids that grew up with them when they were younger and uh, it felt like i hadn't seen this movie in years and uh, it felt like that part of it reminded me whenever my grandfather passed away and uh, i was in uruguay a couple of weeks before he died and it was very strange because the cancer had gone into his brain and as a grandfather he was always the most patient uh, patient calm loving man ever and you'd have the these stories from my uncles and my mom talking about how aggressive he could be how angry he used to be and stuff and how like mm. the idea of the person that i know as like this lovely doting grandfather is not the real person that they grew up with and whenever the cancer got to his brain all the like all this kind of pain and anger that he had been keeping back uh, because i think that as we get older we are able to train ourselves against our or our main flaws in a certain way like if we are very uh agitated very uh anxious we're able to control it a little bit better because we know ourselves we know the world we know the triggers <laughs> and i think that the that people don't necessarily change but they're just able to control the parts that they don't like about themselves a little bit better as they grow with age in this case in the the movie is uh the character's alcoholism but whenever he um my grandfather um, had a fit of anger uh, like a couple of weeks before he died. And uh, my mom was there and one of my uncles was there. And they almost started immediately crying because they got a flashback to the, the person that they used to know rather than the mm. person that is now in front of them. And it is the thing that Ozu is always able to do, deal with these kind of truths and uh, almost... Um, revelatory aspects of yourself you're able to not only judge the the characters in his movies but by doing so judging your own behavior towards other people and how you behave and but it never feels preachy or written it feels almost organic as just as the editing on the movie is that is like uh uh one step follows the next step follows the next step and almost as nonchalantly as that it's almost like walking or mm -hmm. it, it never feel but i think that that's where the power uh, lays when because it makes you forget sometimes that you're watching movies that you're just living with these characters how different like a society and people you think would be like post-war japanese people to like modern irish people and i can see all of these people and all these interactions with my own eyes in Ireland every day. And 
whenever you're talking about like humanity as a whole, it's like similar to there's a good reason why Kurosaki is a massive fan of Ozu because mm -hmm. he has this humanist approach of filmmaking that everybody has the same building blocks of a person in them. It's just the, the way that the society arranges them is slightly different. But you always have the, you know, a society that can't hug like the Japanese society creates this kind of weird power dynamic within a family that a parent dies and you can't release that grief with them. You have to walk away to be able to release that grief, especially if you're a man. Whilst uh, if you're in a society like a Latin society that you can hug each other to express that pain, sometimes it almost becomes performative after a loss mm. that it's like you have to show your emotion as big as possible because you it's like, like if you're the husband of the person that died if your emotion is not the biggest sadness in the in the funeral or in the wake people will think that you didn't love your wife or whatever it, it's always like <laughs> it's the you know opposite what I mean? way yeah <laughs> and it's this kind of weird um and it's like his lack of an aesthetic is an aesthetic in itself, but even like the use of like beautiful music is never used to underpine emotion in the moment is to reflect on the emotion after it has happened. Similarly mm -hmm. to how we listen to music after an emotional thing happens to us. And it kind of links us to the movie in that kind of personal way that, you know, you're not listening to a sad song while you're going through a breakup or getting fired or, uh, having an argument with a friend or whatever but then you get on the bus home and you put on your headphones and you start listening to something and then you link the two events together but they're now overlapping and this movie does the same that it's like there's no songs there played while the mother is dying but then it cuts to these kind of white shots with nothing happening and this kind of contemplative music that you're like leaving you to think about how you're feeling leaving you to think about what you think the characters are doing, what they're thinking and stuff. And I think it creates an environment that it's both welcoming and uh, welcoming and very cozy almost, but also devastating because it, it really comes out of nowhere because there's no big release of emotion. You also don't have that feeling of catharsis. So it, it's almost like the cloud just hangs over you. That it, it's just mm -hmm. this almost like metronome <laughs> quality to the movie. That it, like all his movies, like I said, are similar enough. It's very strange, especially when you're like dealing. Obviously, like whenever there's a transition between color and black and white, it's easier to differentiate the the epochs of his work. But whenever I I think back about his the movies that I've seen of his there the I can't quite because he uses a lot of the same actors playing very similar characters and stuff I can't quite differentiate in my head if that scene is from Tokyo Story or of late spring or early <laughs> autumn and stuff like that you know what I mean but then as soon as I start watching the movie it, it all comes back because it is very specific to each movie uh, like the the father figure the guy that plays the father figure, he's he's played the father in two or three other Ozu movies and very much alike in character. But then when you finish watching the movie, you realize how different they are, even though the it's very, very subtle. 
and is that in within that subtlety that this movie shines and i think that all of his work shines but in rewatching this is the first time that i think that this might be his best work i've mm. never like which is very strange i do, i wonder if i'll sit down and watch just because it's the most recent one that if i <laughs> sit down and watch late spring i'll go like oh this is the best you know what i mean but i do think that it's it, I don't feel offended. I used to feel like kind of like, oh, people don't know Ozu, that they picked a, like a very good Ozu, but not his best. But um, I think it it is in itself, um, it's a little bit more simple than other movies, but it, that's uh, where, where in the power lies, I think. Uh, but uh, I'm very curious about what you felt about the movie because we, we did speak before about whenever we... The, obviously you're a fan of Kurosaki because all the Kurosaki movies that we've done you you've really liked and you did like floating weeds except for the bits of the plot but in <laughs> your uh, I remember you also liking Oz's use of color and obviously this element of the movie of the filmmaking aspect is removed because it's, it's a black and white movie and you can tell that it's like 50s Japan because the the stock is like all drags of different stocks so like the the iso of the movie just fucking jumps up and down <laughs> no matter what what I, it, it, there's almost a flicker to the image which it, yeah it, it adds almost charm to it because of being a may it makes it a, a relic of its time rather than you can't really modernize it you know you watch sometimes some like an american movie from the 40s or whatever they're they got like the original negative and then they like transpond it to 4k and it just looks like fucking Sodenberg just shot it <laughs> in uh ari alexa and just <laughs> put it on like a chrome lot on it and off you go you know with this is like it very much feels a movie of its time and it's always like i think in japanese culture i find that period between the 50s and the 70s whenever it shifted from the purely japanese uh aesthetic like both like fashion and culture to a more westernized um society it's always interesting i think uh as a transitional period both as in like fashions and stylings but also like how people interact with each other and how the world interacts with japan obviously that's not an aspect of this movie but as a part of a of the period is always interesting so without further ado uh what did you think of tokyo story <gasps> take a breath now <laughs> sorry <clears throat> i think that was your longest roll of just like talking 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 <laughs> Sorry, it impressive. is the fourth, uh, the fourth uh, highest rated movie of all time. <laughs> Jesus, I would highly recommend you go onto the letterbox and look at the negative reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, Tokyo, comma, no story. Um, well, <laughs> Ricardo, fuck you, Ricardo. It's uh, <laughs> the person who has just come back from visiting their parents. Um, this hit me very, very hard. <laughs> I'm like, literally, I watched this last night and my sister Claire was just getting on a plane uh, to fly back to Canada and like leave, the last person to leave my parents, basically. And I was like, oh. So. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, uh, He just like, he does make you work a little bit in this film at the start because it, it does begin quite slowly um, and continues quite slowly, but it really, it does take its time to like 
get them to Tokyo and get them installed in the first house. And, you know, you're, you're sort of like just kind of following along, kind of like, hmm, where's this going? Da, 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 da. Um, but he's just, <laughs> he's such a sneaky bastard. Like, <laughs> he just wraps you so slowly up in the story of these people. And like, before you know it, you're like, you know, fully ingrained, like pissed off at the kids, rooting for the daughter-in-law. You know, you're like, and then the, there's the, he drops like these fucking devastating lines, like little fucking like little grenades. You know what I mean? Every so often he just pops one off and you're like, oh, my God. Like whenever they go to visit the, the daughter-in-law and they're looking at the picture and you start to realize like, oh, fuck, he's dead. And the, <laughs> the way they talk about him and stuff, like so much of the the dialogue is so like flippant and matter of fact because it's and they're almost like laughing through it because they don't have like the skills to discuss it properly you know what I mean so even whenever like uh like the oldest daughter who is a wonderful cunt uh, <laughs> she's just so fucking mean it's so funny and like just kind of f like flippantly mean you know and um <laughs> Uh, she's talking to them. Uh, I think whenever she, they're all first in, in, um, uh, in the, in the son's house. <clears throat> uh, and she goes over and she's basically just kind of like pinches her mom and is like, I know you're still so fat. I remember whenever you were so fat and you broke that chair. <laughs> and they're all like, <laughs> and leave the room. And like, you know, it's so like, just, you know, like, like pointed and, and passive aggressive there's so much like passive aggression in this film but like done with a smile it's it's just great it's <laughs> um i really love um uh the character of the daughter-in-law is really interesting um just because like and uh, noriko yeah like her the kind of tragedy of her character and the fact that she sort of you know everyone is sort of feeling sorry for her, but also kind of like that judging her, like, why are you alone? You know? And it's like this weird thing of where there's real kind of like care with the parents and her, but at the same time, they're still very like, why are you still alone? Why have you not remarried? It's been eight years. He's dead. You know, it's really like all of us check pushing her through her grief or something or, or like, push the grief away like move on and so like I saw a lot of people complaining um that so many of the characters are like you know aggressively smiling through everything all the time and I like people just being really confused and especially um her character but it means that whenever she finally breaks whenever she's with the dad like that scene is incredible it's so good and you really see you know you're waiting until all the other kids have gone. It's her and the youngest daughter. And like so much of what's been going on in the film is like resolved, not resolved, but like finally tackled in those scenes of like why the youngest daughter is still there. And again, it's this like judgment of why are you still there? You should be, you need to leave. Go get a, you know what I mean? Go get married, go get married, go get married. Chasing <laughs> me. There's so much of like, go get married in this film. Which is fascinating because Osu was a bachelor his entire life. He never got married. Um, he lived with his mother until he died, um, quite young. Like he was only in his sixties whenever he died. Um, 
Although comically in this film, being in your 60s is basically dead. Like, <laughs> they're like, what age is she? Oh, she must be at least 68. And also she is fat. So, well, that's why she died so quickly. It's like, well, like, uh, as... Uh, steady on. <laughs> in the, when it comes to uh, Japanese culture, it hasn't changed at all in that sense. That is like... Uh, uh, there's a guy <laughs> called uh, Chris Broderick. He's like a fairly big YouTube channel called Broad in Japan. And he says that one of the biggest problems that he has with Japan as a culture is mm. their fat phobia. That he'd be walking down and he's not like huge, you know, like he he is like he he'd be like overweight. That even like his doctor would be like telling him to uh, cut on his weight because it's unhealthy rather than anything else. But he'd be walking down the street and randomers would like rub his belly and go like, oh, nice dinner, was it? Or stuff like that. Um, like they shame you. Like shame is a big thing in the Japanese culture, unfortunately. And yeah. in fairness, also Irish culture. So we can't like throwing uh, stones into glass houses <laughs> yeah. and other things. But uh I do think that it, when it, whenever it comes to like smiling through it, I, it, it is one of those things of uh, cultural shifts that you, you don't see that much in like European cultures and stuff like that. But so much of, because of the, the way that the language is spoken, I do think the facial expressions had more meaning when speaking yeah. Japanese because like intonation the, don't add as much meaning as in in English or Spanish. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I was, whenever you mentioned that about your parents, immediately I thought that, like I remember watching this movie and going like, yeah, Alex, sorry, Alex, Orla would. Uh, immediately I thought Orla would uh, relate to this movie more now because, because of the pace of the moving, of the movie and like how slow it takes to to develop, it, it really makes you feel like whenever you go home on your holidays. You know, <laughs> to a place that you you know, but you don't quite know because you're like you're with family. But you know, this is exactly how I feel. Like I, I whenever I go back to Uruguay now that my grandmother has moved to a new apartment or whatever, that would be like with people I know in a for, like in a place that I don't understand. It's kind of like a weird, like I I can't really allocate. And there's always like a, you know. Even if you talk to people on the phone and uh, message them and email them and write letters, whatever way you communicate, if you spend a couple of years away from them, there's always like 10, 15 minutes that it's kind of like you're kind <laughs> of weird. forcing yourself weird. to have a conversation so it's not awkward. <laughs> and then it comes back to how it's always been. But you know, the that kind of like, oh, you're here and it becomes like a big deal because you don't you're not always there you know so it, it kind of like oh how is the trip it's the easiest thing about the if you're the yeah. traveling person because you you can immediately have something to talk about i think that that's why people ask about how your trip was because it's a way of yeah. breaking the ice when you're back and i think it's so wonderful how the movie captures that that feeling of being in that kind of like quiet holiday whenever you're just going about your own business but but like so I can see that you had an emotional reaction to the movie, and uh, you've had the you've said that you enjoyed the quite a few scenes in the movie and characters. The like you read the characters as they should be read, you know. But like overall, did you 
let's say, do you think it is incorrectly placed on the list? Not to say that it's one of your top 20 movies of all time, but you know yourself, like a lot of those movies that are in the top 20, they're not my top 20, but are movies that I can't be offended that they're placed yeah. in that position. Vertigo is good, you know? <laughs> not my favorite Hitchcock movie, but, you know, I understand why it's there. Um, um, yeah, like, absolutely. I, I think, like, what did... Um, What's the words that Criterion use? Um, mightiest masterpieces. Um, like I could understand why people watch this and do not get it, but I understand why it's on that list because it is a mastery of this type of filmmaking. You know, which is kind of a film type of filmmaking that he fucking invented as well. You know, what I mean, it's like he invented it and then basically made the same movie over and over again. Not unlike Curse Maggie, so <laughs> which is like you know complete absolute otter theory you know down the line uh <laughs> put him on the cover of the film theory book you know what i mean but um but the difference between like there are movies that are very worthy of like you know being called masterpieces and you know and and, and they are but they're also very fucking difficult to watch <laughs> you know and like they it's necessary for them to be like that because they're trying to tell a very difficult story or the the like subject matter is very tough for you know something like fucking common see or whatever you know what I mean like essentially is a masterpiece but is like the worst experience that you will ever have in your life whereas this despite being like quite emotional you know like it, like if you have any kind of rela relationships in your life and you've have you've had them over time this is the real thing of this is that it's not just relationships it's relationships over a lifetime um you know, even if you're not close to your family, if you have like long term friendships or whatever, you will you will see something in this movie because it is so like it's like taking the mundane of life and making it very, very profound and making you feel very fucking guilty about how you haven't called your parents. <laughs> like but like also like you pointed this out and I think it's very true. Like but you know, there's so much in even the synopsis and stuff and the Google and everything, it's like, it's all about the parents coming, the poor parents and the kids being really mean to them. And you're like, that's not fully what the movie is at all. It's like, it sort of starts out that way. But, you know, ultimately, even early on, you already start to get more depth to the parents themselves. So, uh, it's even whenever, um, they, uh, they arrive and they get into the house and like the son's house and stuff, and they're all kind of like settled and sitting down and stuff. And um, they're talking to each other and they're like, or I think it's when they go to bed. Or it's like they, they pretend to be tired so they can go to bed, first of all, or go to bed. It's very funny. They just like, <laughs> as far as I can make it, they just kind of don't want to talk anymore. So they just go upstairs um, and they're, they're just kind of chatting to each other. And um, they're like, I really thought this would be, you know, like, what, what part of Tokyo is this? I, you know, I, I thought we would be in, like, the bustling city. <laughs> they're kind of pissed off because they're just in a fucking suburb, you know? And it's like, it's not really what I was expecting. You know? <laughs> and it's so, but, like, you don't see it. They don't, portray, they don't say it to the kids, but you know that the kids know that that's what they think as well, which is, like, because you can always tell whenever your parents are like, all right. Okay, I see. You know, like it's very like <laughs> it's all told through the small gestures of like how you talk to somebody or how you communicate with somebody rather whenever you've known them for a very long time because <laughs> things are done through little subtle movements and stuff. Um, 
but yeah, like by the time you get to like as well, it's there's interesting kind of dynamic in their relationship because even though like they're not a very like you know understandably for the time not a very tactile couple or anything, but um, he does like nag her a lot <laughs> as the film goes on, which then whatever there's like. You get more and more details about their marriage of that, like, ah, oh, this woman probably had to put up with a lot of this guy because it's it's all very playful and oh, he drank too much and ha 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 ha, ha he loves drinking and it's like, mm, yeah, you had a shit time for a while maybe you know, um, so I like that that it's you know they they start off as this like cute little couple you know and then you're like oh no hold on there's like other layers to this, um, so then by the time you get to the scene where all the men are drinking and being very, very shitty to that waitress. <laughs> it's like, and she's just like, please fucking leave. They're like, I hear you. I hear you, pet. <laughs> um, and they're all complaining. Like they, all they talk about is the fucking kids. So once they, they're all kind of together, even before they start drinking and stuff, and you know they're talking about, oh, do you remember that guy? Yeah, his 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 son is shit. Oh, okay, there's a young person. Yeah, that young person is shit. <laughs> you know, it's like this constant like bitching about the younger generation, and then they're all hammered. And sorry. And I do think that it's quite pointed and important to note as well that what they complain about are, is purely career decisions of <laughs> their kids they never talk about their kids being like good people the only one that gets called out for being a mean person is the the older daughter but she is very mean so like that's how far you have to be for your parents to notice your personality yeah very pointed also about how they see themselves as well that it is like everything is about money because they know yeah. like they or power you know like success projected for success i suppose <clears throat> and you can tell that the father used to be somebody of certain stature in where they're from that like the mm. governor would show up to the house he was the head of the board of education for the for the region and stuff like that so it's not like he's just an old farmer or whatever it's like they know that they don't live up to his standards but also he ingrained the same flaws they inherited the same kind of narrow focus that he has yeah that it, it, it and it kind of blinds them also because they they don't become like complete people that like the son is doing the same thing to his children there is like and it's <laughs> It's <laughs> the fucking. I love that the grandkids are such little shits as well. It's like, <laughs> it's like that little. Like, oh my god! It's so early on in the movie where um, the youngest son is like, "Where's my desk? I can't study." And the mom is like, "Well, we need the room because your grandparents are coming." And he's just like, "Well then," and he does like a little sing song. He's like, "Well then, I'll never study again." And she's like, "What?" <laughs> Like, who are you? What have I created? Um, yeah, like the the scene. The way that they <laughs> throw shit at people is the funniest thing. As well. uh, like so many brutal lines in this movie. I like it's oh my god! Like the uh, <laughs> the father. So whatever they are drinking, um, which is a great scene, um, and like his friend is um, you know going on and on and on and on, just generally being a horrible person, uh, and then like. 
uh, the dad then, like our, our father character, starts like talking about his own kids. He's like, I know, I totally get you. He's like, my son, he's only a small neighborhood doctor. I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> you know, it's like so, and he's just like, pity me. Oh, they just, oh, they just didn't live up to my expectations, you know? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, and at the end as well, whenever he has the, the conversation with the mother and they're like, at least they're not the worst. They could be worse. Literally, I was like, "Well, I mean, <laughs> your daughter's kind of the worst." <laughs> so many things she does, and I'm like, "Oh, Jesus!" Like, and her husband is just kind of going along with it as well. It's like you married a monster. Uh, she's like, "Why did you get cakes? They don't eat cakes. They could just eat crackers." <laughs> it's like what? And then there's like one one of the most um uh one of the most like aggressively mean things she says and it's like kind of just a flippant little comment um is when the parents come back from the like shitty resort that she sent them to like that scene as well when she's just like maybe we should send them away what do you think you know and they're all like yeah they would really love that and she's like plus it's cheap you're such a good um but they come back and so they you know their their house is also like a you know a beauty salon or whatever um so they come in past some of her customers and then they're like they go into the the room the other room or whatever and uh one of the customers is like oh who's that and she's like oh just some friends from the country <laughs> like, oh, you didn't even say to your parents it's like oh my god like oh so so good um <laughs> have you read the ebert's uh, uh synopsis of the movie uh in one paragraph no. he, it's the, the the beauty of this movie in a way because you if you are you're a go writer as ebert is you're able to encapsulate the entire movie in a paragraph and it is both accurate in a way of the plot but also emotionally what the movie encapsulates the entire movie the movie is not short it's two and a half hours long nearly and it needs mm. that time to 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 grow on you as you said that it takes like about 20 minutes for you to actually like get in the rhythm of the movie it's almost like he's teaching you for the first 20 minutes this is how the movie moves this is what is gonna happen this is how the rhythm are and whatever and i will i will hold back from anything very very important for a while so you get used to it so you don't miss it now you're with us let's go but like uh Eber goes no story could be simpler an old couple come to the city to visit their children and grandchildren their children are busy and the old people upset their routines in a quiet way without anyone admitting it the visit goes badly the parents mm. return home a few days later the grandmother dies now it is the turn of the children to make a journey <laughs> that is very good but um, is that part of like the in a quiet <laughs> way without admitting it the visit goes badly that encapsulates yeah. exactly what the movie is about that that idea that everybody knows that there's something off about it that mm. th that this is not a good trip or whatever and everybody vocalizes it as if oh yeah they 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 must have loved they'll never forget their experience in tokyo or whatever knowing that they did jack shit or whatever <laughs> that they said oh yeah that that fucking like the 
the resort that is hopping off the coast. I, I really like wish I was younger and there are resorts like that still going. Like it, it felt like it's one of those m- moments that it feels like a completely different movie. But uh, <laughs> and the performances are so great whenever they're like in the beach the next day that they're like clearly very tired for like a, a good bit. And her performance is so subtle but great as well that she continues that tiredness after the night while the yeah. the father like regains composure after the 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 drinking obviously because the thought of drinking that much on an empty stomach on like the day after you didn't oh, sleep God. any any hours yeah. or whatever yeah it's a uh... <laughs> It's like devastating, but also kind of funny movie as well, which I appreciate. Um, but funny and kind of like, did that person just say that? You know what I mean? Because everything is so like, you know, it's a combination of like mad statements and then also like the little pauses that people have. So the son character is very kind of like, he makes this sort of sound of sort of like, hmm. <laughs> what I like about the because I watched this on the Criterion and the way that the subtitles are translated there's a lot of like sort of little filler words that aren't translated but you understand what they're saying because they're like the, the sort of like tone of their voice and stuff which is kind of interesting there's a lot of little like just like little like filler stuff um, but I love that sound he makes where you know they're kind of like <laughs> they both clearly don't want to go see their mother but they're kind of like well, I guess we should go see our mother. It's like, hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just so like, and he paused. It does say he that she's else. critically ill. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, critically, you know, it's Jesus Christ. Um, they're like, also, oh, if, uh, if you didn't receive a telegram as well, she's probably okay. And then the telegram comes, it's like, oh shit, we have to do something now. <laughs> it's confirmed. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just so funny, <laughs> like, <laughs> how sort of controlling the older kids are as well. Like, the dynamic between the kids is very interesting, like, not, like, all the way down and how <clears throat> how they treat the um, uh, the widow of their brother as well and how she's sort of, like, you know, bossed around and stuff. It's kind of funny. Um, uh, it's like, you, you're going to have to get uh, morning clothes. Yep, yep, get ones for her as well. You know, it's very, like... Um, there's one scene I really love because um, it's the one time not everybody's there because the mother has died but it's the one time you see them all together like at a table and you really get l- the full family dynamic um, which is it's, it's like after she's died and after they've buried her and everything and they're just sitting around talking and there's like a few moments when they're laughing about like just silly childhood memories and stuff that's really funny and like you know oh you were too young you won't remember you know of that kind of like such the way that siblings are as well just like well you were too young you know (laughs) like you did this stupid thing (laughs) um yeah and then there's like a switch within that scene at some point where um their, the plans come up again and it's like okay well I'm gonna have to leave and I'm gonna have to do this and then the the older sister starts talking about um how she wants a scarf and, and stuff and it kind of breaks the moment and then you know it, it the thing kind of dissolves and you know they start talking about how the dad's gonna be alone forever and um, <laughs> the poor dad um I have to say I feel like a little conflicted about the very very ending <clears throat> because 
I I love the sh- like the shot of um uh what's her name on the train where she looks at um the watch that he's given her and I was like oh it's just going to end there and it'll be perfect and it goes back to the dad and it, it's not that I dislike having him at the very end it's more that he he like says a line to himself where it's just, just like well I'm alone now <laughs> you know, I don't know it felt like kind of unnecessary so it's a little like yeah well like i think it was necessary because <clears throat> there there is the uh, notoriously the that part of it whenever you live with somebody and they're like the main focus of your life and yeah. you even after they die it doesn't really sit in what's happening because you're too busy with the actual logistics of death you're how do, do you bury her the service getting people telling people all these things which gives you kind of a mission in life of what to like th- these are the objectives i need to complete and until that moment is like th- that's the moment that sink- sinks in that yeah. that that person is not coming back that what you were doing wasn't like that that person is on holidays and stuff like that and th- most european movies have that scene whenever somebody comes back from a funeral and they're wearing this the suit and then they walk around the house and it's empty and I think that that would be the equivalent in Ozu's mind. I think it's alone, not just in the sense of like, oh, yeah, like she died and I don't have anybody to live with. It's also alone that like she's the only person that understood him. Mm. And now, like, even if he is with all his kids around him, he's still going to be alone. Yeah. So it's kind of like the this kind of realization that even the Noriko is the closest thing that he has for a connection, but he's also willfully trying to distance himself from her because their link is unhealthy for her. The longer he keeps up like using her as a crutch, the longer she won't give up because what she needs is family. It's kind of hinted as well that she lost her family in the war as well. Yeah, I do like you do feel the weight of um the war hanging over everything like um and just like the sheer level of loss like that everyone is in the movie like every family has been touched by it in some way like there's the guy that lost two sons um and like again dealt with it by them in the most flippant way possible just like oh terrible 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 yeah anyways anyways (laughs) and i was like and i was person with no ability to explain my emotions whatsoever. I uh, I related very hard to a lot of their behavior. <laughs> no no ability to uh, explain emotions and very little ability to like you know hug people either. So like, <laughs> what were we watching? Was it Claire's knee? And I was like deeply uncomfortable as to how much they touch each other. And you we were like, ah. <laughs> ah, different cultures are different. Um, I feel like I had another one. Oh yeah, no, before we like, you know, get into final things. Um, the fact that she's in a coma, but she's like, they're not giving her like fluids or anything. She's just like lying on the floor. I'm like, you need to take her to hospital. There's like her son that is a doctor, and then obviously their local neighborhood doctor. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, it's not going great. I'm like, well, 
told me like I know obviously you can't move someone in that scenario that's in a coma, but at the same time I'm assuming she wasn't always in the I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing I was like, yeah, just give her fluids, like uh, come in with a I, bag of silane or something. Yeah, it's like how long has she been in a coma? You, you're not even feeding her. It's like you can't just let the person lie there. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'd say the uh, giving her a bag of saline is probably easier than building the contraption that they have to hold the bag of ice <laughs> over her head. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. It's like a little arm thing, and yeah. Um, um, the one thing I I find hilarious about this kind of Japanese um, architecture of this era is how like sound must travel in those houses and how there's so many instances where people are talking about the other person and the person has barely turned the corner and i'm like you would be able to hear that it's like a house made out of paper basically <laughs> like it's not <laughs> and it's still the case nowadays in japan so that's why like headphones are such a big thing in japan because you can't listen to anything without your neighbor knowing what the fuck you're listening to like clearly I don't want my neighbors to know how often I watch You've Got Mail. Uh-huh. Um, what was your favorite thing? Uh, Ozu. I think uh, <laughs> I always remember uh, that joke whenever his cinematographer, I can't remember if it was uh, <laughs> that he, he died or the retired, that he got a new cinematographer and the guy was trying to convince Ozu to put a different lens on the camera, which was a losing <laughs> battle. <laughs> I kind of like that he, you know, the the thing of like, you know, trying to perfect. In the end, he's like trying to only make one film, and he's just trying to make it perfectly. And like, it's know, a very Japanese very thing much. to do. In fairness, like uh, in old culture <laughs> kind of thing, but I do appreciate also that, like, he's both traditionally Japanese in that uh, aspect, uh, but also incredibly forward when it comes to. Uh, his view on Japanese society he is able to see the flaws of not quote unquote the system but uh, more like the how the society works with each other and how it's like norms and norms and taboos that are stopping you from really connecting across generations and people and stuff that like I don't I really don't know because I I haven't read that many interviews by Ozu because I think that he, his movies speak for themselves. I don't need more, let's say, to dig in there to understand mm. why he made them and stuff. But I've always been a little bit curious about like really where he falls when it comes to like distance that Japanese culture creates, especially at the time, uh, Japanese society, I mean. But... Like I said, I'm not saying this as in like there's a tendency, especially speaking to Eastern about Eastern societies that they're like as an other or so different or whatever. I think that they're very similar in many ways to Irish culture in some ways and like Brazilian culture in other ways that are um like anything we're just a mixture of everything let's say and uh just goes in but it's like specificity uh, specificity of his work is very very prevalent like the how not only that he perfected making the same movie all the time but i think that uh, more than anything what uh, 
what it it allowed them to do was not focus about the the actual mechanics of filmmaking because he knew how to do that with his eyes closed so he was able mm. to like really dig into what the, the the movies were really about because there was no time that he ever like he'd walk into a room and know exactly how it'd be shot there would be no questions agreement his entire crew knew how it'd be shot all his actors knew where the camera would be and then you spend the rest of the time finding quote unquote for the lack of a better word the truth and it's and it's wonderful like every like i said every movie like uh, they might after like 10 15 years just meld into one thing but then uh, <laughs> as soon as you start watching them you realize how individual <laughs> they are it's kind of because the feeling and the the memory of them are so strong and similar there's very few directors i think that have such a strong filmography as well that there's like no dots it's like everything is great but i suppose like if you made like if you're remaking the same movie <laughs> all the time and the first time was great <laughs> like uh, it's like the the <laughs> howard hawks uh, remaking uh rio bravo that he did el dorado and rio lobo which is like basically Rio Bravo, all with John Wayne, but we're just different actors playing the Dean Martin character. It's like Robert Mitchum in <laughs> one, and I can't remember who else in the other. That it's like, yeah, it's not Rio Bravo, but it's not going to be bad because Rio Bravo is great. So that's my thinking. But like, I think, like, his <clears throat> humanity, like, it's so, like, you know, I, I always change and flip-flop between like loving cynical filmmakers and loving like pure optimist humanist directors and <laughs> it's the in between where i have difficulty like i love very cynical and fucking devoid of emotion filmmaking i do love also this kind of warm hug of a movie that leaves you at the same time kind of like as you said uh, partly guilty about your own behavior towards others but at the same time it's like it feels like you spent it in good company i don't know what's your favorite thing um <clears throat> oh i think it's ozu as well um i think just because like he is his films are such like a essence of him of his like worldview condensed into like these like you know not short but not bite-sized but you know like little little movies um and they are like small in their like the subject matter that they're tackling in a way it's like it's just a family drama it's just like normal people like um dealing with you know a particular era in japanese life but at the same time because he's dealing with themes that are so like universal um it makes them incredibly poignant and I think just the way he handles the subject matter and he's just a very, very safe pair of hands. And uh <laughs> I don't think I I don't think I had any worry that I was gonna dislike this at all. I wasn't like, Oh, let's see. You know, sometimes you put it one off the podcast and you're like, hmm, what the I don't know. But like Yeah. The, I mean pretty much as soon as they were sort of sitting there packing and the, they couldn't find, like, it was like a neck pillow or something. Oh, yeah, the air pillow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, like, their little interaction around this fucking pillow. And I was like, yeah. 
I will. I will take another two hours of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, a, you know, a very, like, simple but very prolific person. And, um, yeah, thank you, Ozu, for all you did. Uh, what was your least favorite thing? Don't really know, because even, like, the bits that I don't like about the movie, like, the... <laughs> the younger daughter character and stuff it's like the movie does it on purpose or even the way that they treat the waitress it is intentional yeah like uh, we're always in the the same frame of reference as ozu is when it comes to what we're supposed to to feel in the movie um and even whenever we're talking about picture quality and stuff like that it gives it the movie a certain uh texture and uh uniqueness to it uh can be replicated yeah. now so like it's one of those like not to say that it's a perfect movie because i do think that like there's nothing that i can point at saying like i don't like this you know it's uh like it is after this watch probably my favorite ozu movie but like i said i don't mm -hmm. i have to watch my other favorite yeah. Ozu movies to see if it's uh, <laughs> a rather uh, a, a case of uh, of proximity rather than uh, of uh, uh, how I truly feel about the movie. But I, it's weird. It's like you know, you know. Uh, for example, in the mood for love, that is uh, the fifth, the the one down, one sp sprung in the in the sight and sound list. That movie has mm. a lot, of, like a few flaws. I think that uh, Tokyo Story, I can't pinpoint one, but it's the weird thing about like the highs, height, the highs of when the mood for love are higher than the highs of Tokyo Story. But in a way, it tells mm. you about like the difference between the filmmaking. The Tokyo Story is always like at a constant pace, just being like lovely and great or whatever. There's no moments like yeah. whenever you're watching like in the mood of lo for love that you go like, oh, fuck. Like you feel like the <laughs> kick to the gut kind of both like yeah. filmmaking wise and emotional wise and all these things going like, oh, my life will never be the same. But then there's like a scene that you're <laughs> like, eh. <laughs> what's your least yeah, favorite thing? Um, I don't know. I suppose like. The, the ending, I guess, was just the one bit where I was like, mm, I wouldn't have done it like that. But at the same time, it's not like it doesn't ruin the movie or anything. It was just like the one moment. I'll email Ozu to make sure he never does it again. Question Dozy. Yes, I know. Even as I was like writing it in my notes, I was like, I'll be stricken from the way record. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, that's kind of it. There's like. I don't really know what else you could possibly pinpoint, you know. Um, yeah, I had a very good time. Thank you. Thank you, Ozzy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for picking it. Um, yes, that was Tokyo Story, which is also a lovely title, I have to say. Um, very apt. Yeah, it is. Um, so if they want to go back and uh, find episode 165 from 2021, I believe, uh, where can they find us, Ricardo? You can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, the recommendation game at gmail.com, at The Red Game on Twitter. Uh, we're on Mondays every... S sorry, on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday, 
11 to 12 and you can listen to our uh, podcast also on spotify your podcaster of choice and the dublin digital radio mix cloud so next week's movie is chosen by orla which is all the beauty and the bloodshed which i'm pretty sure we can nice stream uh yeah so uh, until then i was orla mcnillis and i was ricardo teakin thanks for listening see you next week <laughs>